We are in a series about submission. Uh, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this. And uh, what, what, what we have been trying to get across is that submission is an essential uh, practice of those seeking to follow Christ. Uh, the, the, the transaction of our salvation or being saved or being born again or coming to Christ or whatever language you've come to know, that transaction that happens is a giving away of myself for the authority of Christ. It's, it's done by grace. It's nothing that I get to, uh, to be in control of. We love because He first loved us. He's the primary mover. He makes the invitation. He has initiated all of it. But in that exchange, as, as I say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you, I am giving up my own will. I'm giving up my own desires in order to pursue that which God has for me. And as Christians, we do that with a minimized risk because of our understanding of who God is, that He is not an authority figure who's trying to just lord over us and squash us like a bug, that He's not going to take our submission and not going to take our allegiance to Him and leverage it for His own uh, advantage or or manipulate us for for His own uh, gain. But But He will, in our submission, take the life that He formed and He breathed life into, and that He wrote His image into who we are, He will take that life and take it from one of brokenness and mistake and sin and and turn it into something glorious that matches who He is and deserves to spend uh, time and eternity with Him. Submission in a Christian point of view is not a squashing down, it's a raising up. It's a reaching of potential. In fact, submission is such a vital part of, of, of our relationship with God that, that God wants us to practice submission in multiple areas, in, in our relationships, even with people that we don't agree with and don't, don't, um, uh, don't resonate with. Submission comes in all forms. Yes, in marriage, there's a mutual submission. Children to parents, uh, worker to, to owner, uh, relationships all over. Submission is a part of it. Jesus even went as far in the first century under a corrupt Roman government to say, submit to the authority placed over you. Paul goes on to say, submit to the authority of those placed over you even within a church. The, the idea of submission is a godly pursuit. He wants us to practice it in every way. It's We have a tendency, that ego within us, we have a tendency to want to elevate our own importance, elevate our own agenda, and the Christian agenda is contrary to that. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about being number one, it's about being last. First shall be last, first shall be last and last shall be first. If I want my if I want my life to mean something, I must give it up. If you try to hold on to your life, you lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will gain everything. the The kingdom of heaven submission equals equals power equals transformation, and that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about the transformation that happens as we submit to God. When when we talk about submitting to the authority of 
of God, a, a, a lot of our conversation has to do with our sensitivity and how we allow the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. The Holy Spirit is that gift given by Jesus Christ as a way to keep us connected. It's the connective tissue of the, of the Godhead. It's what allows us to stay connected with Him. Jesus that, uh, that night before he was arrested said, I'm going away, but it's a good thing for you. You should be happy I'm going away because in my absence, I'm going to leave a helper. I'm going to give you a, a, I'm going to give you a friend, a counselor, a support, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead you into truth and all righteousness. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And as we grow as Christians, you can read about this in, in Paul's letters. He talks about things like the fruit of the Spirit. The more the Spirit is in control of your life, the more the Spirit has access of your life, there will be transformation that will happen. Things like love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those kind of things begin to emerge out of a life because of the power of the Holy Spirit working from the inside out around us. That's what our submission is about. It, 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 it brings about a change of character. It brings about a change of who we are. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what submission and the divine invasion does for us. It then transforms us to look more like Christ. As we talk about submission and 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 a submission to authority, uh, I just uh, I, I, I want to remind us that um, the little places of our life is where we build character. It's it's in the little practices that big things are accomplished. Right? I think sometimes we have these divide, these, uh, these big ideas and this, this interest in doing something that matters for the world. And, and we, we, we hear about situations like go back to the Columbine school shooting and there was a, a girl who was confronted about her faith and she didn't deny her faith and she was shot and, and, and I remember, uh, I was in, in college at that time and I remember sermons about would you take a bullet for Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And we, we have, we have this divine, uh, sort of, uh, hope that, that if it came down to it, I want to be a hero for my faith. And if, if, if I would be willing to die for Christ and, and I would do that big thing, but here's my question for you. Are you sure you do the big thing? Because most of the time in the little things, we're not given over to him. In Song of Solomon, uh, there's a passage that says, watch out for the little foxes. It's the little foxes that destroy the vineyard. It's the little foxes that, that get in and eat away the, the, the fruit and, and, and ruin the vine. And it's the same in our life. Uh, it, it, we have these big dreams of grandeur and, and big action, but it's, it's the little choices. It's the day-by-day, moment-by-moment, second-by-second decision that we make that builds character and establishes our faith that defines who we are. I hope that I would be one that would be willing to, to take the ultimate stand for my faith but the reality is, when confronted with a thing like that, if I haven't done the work in my prayer life and in my daily uh, functioning, if I haven't practiced the presence of God, 
when the big thing shows up, I have nothing to lean on. And you don't, you don't just get character out of a vacuum. Character is established under the fire of practice and, 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 and lesson. And so what I want to do today is, is just, we're going to use an example of uh, somebody in the New Testament. His name is Stephen. We're going to use the story of Stephen to tell us about the, 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 the gathering of Christian um, ethics and morals and faith uh, to be able to stand to a life-threatening situation uh, with the idea that I hope that none of us will ever go through what Stephen went through, but I, I, I hope that we as followers of Jesus Christ might have a faith that would mark us as followers of Jesus Christ. We'll be in the book of Acts. I'm not going to read uh, the passage uh, right away, so hold on for that. Um, it's a long story. Uh, Stephen is introduced in chapter 6 of Acts, and then all of chapter 7 is about him. It's a long chapter. I don't have time to read all of that, so I'm going to sort of set the table for us. The book of Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Luke, the one that wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke, also wrote Acts. It was book two of his research. Luke wasn't one of the original disciples. He came after the resurrection of Christ, uh, was transformed by the, the finding out who Jesus is, went back and investigated all the claims about him. That's what you get in the book of Luke. And then as this thing called Christianity began to unfold, he was a record keeper of that and a participant in that. And that's where we get the book of Acts. It begins with Jesus ascending back into heaven, saying, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, Ninety days later, the Holy Spirit comes uh, through Pentecost, little fire on heads, languages being shared, even people that were from different parts of the world. Everyone heard the gospel in their own language, and it, it, it like ignited this thing called Christianity. And it began to grow. And as it grew, there was problems that emerged inside the church and there was problems and threatening outside the church. And as we get to, to chapter 6 in the book of Acts, that pressure inside had begun to boil over and there was jealousy and, and uh, bickering within the church about the distribution of goods and who was important and who wasn't. And this is where we're introduced to the character of Stephen. The apostles decided, hey, it's our job to teach about Jesus. We need some folks within the body who we can elect as leaders and appoint as leaders who show godly character, and then they will be in charge of the ministry that we do. It was the beginning of what we would call lay ministry uh, in today's church. And the number one person elected was Stephen. And there's an interesting thing as you read in, uh, about Stephen. It's like Luke couldn't get this phrase out uh, on the paper enough. Every time you read about uh, Stephen, there's a parenthetical that follows it. Stephen, comma, a man filled with grace and full of the Holy Spirit. Over and over. Two chapters references that four times. Stephen, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen, a man filled with grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. This was who Stephen was. He was elected as one of the leaders of the church. He had this amazing relationship with God. As you move into chapter 7, he took that ministry that he was elected to and he was working it in the community. And God was using him and miraculous things were happening and the power of God was going out from him and it ticked 
the outside influences against him. The religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, the ones who thought Jesus was against God was, and were trying to find a way to squash this new Christian movement, uh, they did not like Stephen. They had Stephen arrested. And they had some folks come up with lies about what Stephen was doing and that he was blaspheming the Lord and saying bad things about God and bring him on trial and share these lies about him. And as Stephen is standing there uh, taking this accusation, keep in mind, he's just a good guy. Stephen filled with grace and the power of the Holy Spirit and is being uh, is now charged with a, a, a death sentence. And is hearing this, he, he, he responds. But before he responds, it says that the leaders looked at him and his face began to shone white. It takes us back to the transfiguration when you read in the Gospels. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up on the mountain uh, to pray to God. And the heavens opened and the voice of God came out. Moses and Elijah showed up in a cloud and Jesus was transfigured. The glory of God just shone all around him and he just shone with the glory of God. And as Peter gets ready to answer his accusers, that same glory of God just lights up his face. And he begins a sermon that takes him back to the beginning of, uh, back to, uh, Abraham and, and he traces, uh, the, the salvation history from Abraham all the way up to the present and is standing in the face of his accusers, the religious leaders, those who wanted Christ dead and, and boldly and clearly states, you killed him. It's your fault and, and stands up to this adversity. And we're going to pick up the end of his sermon here. The end of his response will be in chapter 7, verse 51. He is not in friendly confines. And here's what he says. You stubborn people. You are heathen and at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law and even though you received it from uh, you deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were so infuriated by Stephen's accusation, they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, you get it again here, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then the leaders put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, which we know becomes Paul. They laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. 
And with that, he died. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. This is the story of a Christian hero. It's the beginning of an age of martyrdom that continued for centuries. We still have folks in our culture that want to claim that they're martyred because somebody said happy holidays to you rather than Merry Christmas. That's not the kind of persecution we're talking about. This this was your life is on the line persecution. And Stephen, man filled with grace, the power of the Holy Spirit, met it head on, didn't compromise, didn't sell out, never backed away, looked directly at his accusers and delivered a message of truth to the folks and paid the ultimate price. It's an example of of a faith that that had been nurtured in the quiet of his prayer room. You know, the little fox, it, it's, it's in the little things that big things are developed. It's, it's, it, if, if you want a life that is going to stand up to the spotlight when, whenever that circumstance happens, whenever that opportunity comes, whenever that challenge shows up, when the light gets shown on you and you don't want to shrink away from it, the, the, the character it takes to withstand that is developed over and over, day by day, moment by moment, second by second, choice by choice. And clearly, Stephen had spent his time with the Lord. It was so much a part of him that that's how Luke described him over and over and over. His fellow people, the fellow congregation recognized in him. That's why they elected him. Even his enemies noticed it about him, and that's why they wanted to stop him. Because the the personal relationship, that that nurturing of the power of the Holy Spirit, that connection with Jesus, that passionate following, that giving of himself over, that transaction that he had made, he had gone full bore in with it. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't take that figure. He didn't take that as just language. He jumped in as if that was the literal thing that you were supposed to do. Everything I am and everything I have and everything I do is devoted to him. And the character that was developed in that is what we see on display in this story. So number one, I just want to ask you, do you have the kind of spiritual life, do you have the kind of relationship with God through the Holy Spirit that is doing the nurturing work that's building up a, a faith life that would stand to that type of adversity? It's the little foxes that creep in. It's the little foxes of, I'm too busy. It's the little foxes of, oh, well, I mean, I mean you don't really have to change that, do I? It's the little foxes of, oh, well, you know, I, well, that preacher, you know, he got on my nerves. I mean, or I, there was that one time and that guy said that. I mean, it's a little fox. They're going to eat away at that. If we want to have the kind of life that shines a light of who God is, that stands as an example of the power of God, that gets developed in your prayer life, in in the quietness of your prayer life, in the reading of your scriptures, in the serving others behind the scenes, not for applause or recognition, 
but just to help someone else out. That's where that character is developed. And and Stephen had done it to a point that that was his very identity. Stephen filled with the Spirit and the man of Oh, for the world that we as Christians, it, that that became our identity for the world. Instead of, oh, Christians, the ones who think they're better than everybody. Oh, Christians, the one who get mad and boycott and, and are so mean to everyone. Oh, for a church, oh, for the followers of Christ to emerge that their, their identity is a man filled with grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Could have go a lot of, a lot of places with this passage. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to narrow it to two thoughts. Two thoughts. The first one, do you have that relationship with God that nurtures that kind of, of faith? Are you spending time in Scripture? Not, not, not so you can just check it off. Maybe, maybe uh, you've done it for a while and you started with an upper room or a daily bread or something like that, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. But maybe it's time you, you jump up to something with a little bit more meat on it. I mean, it, if, if, if it's truly the Word of God and you've given yourself completely to Him, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you want desperately to know about Him, this is His revelation, this is His gift of grace that He's provided us with Scripture where we connect with Him. It's a living Word in which He speaks to us. The voice of God comes through His Word. Are you spending time in it? Prayer. Do you have a prayer life? Are, are, are you, are, are, is it beyond a list of needs? Is it beyond a 911 call when something goes wrong? Is it a daily conversation? Is it a moment by moment conversation? Are you, are you seeking the counsel of the Holy Spirit in decisions you're making? Are you seeking uh, the, the, the counsel of the Holy Spirit in the way you treat your spouse or your children? Uh, is, is it, do you mag, do you, do you look in the mirror about your character and the way you work and the way you function in our community? Are you, are you holding up a life? Are you practicing the presence of God in a way that's giving the space for the divine transformation to happen? Stephen was so connected with God that when, when faced with adversity, he literally shone the light of God. He didn't crumble. Doesn't say he got red faced and embarrassed. Doesn't say he got angry. It says that the glory of God shone. He was so connected with God, so connected with God that even in a life challenging circumstance, the character of God. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens by practice and practice and practice. And folks, that's what church is about. We just celebrated the music we have and the programs we have and the great things we have in this church. But all of those things are aimed at one purpose, the singing the songs and the listening to the beautiful music and the, and the, the kids' programs we have and the Bible studies we do. If they don't bring you to the feet of Jesus, then we're not, they, they're not doing the thing that they're intended to do. We're not here for a concert. We're here to worship God and to draw closer to Him. Are you developing a spiritual life that is is building up character? It's 
It's building up Christ's likeness. The more the Spirit has authority in your life, the more the fruit of the Spirit comes out. It's in the day by day, moment by moment, in things people will never see or never hear and may never know about you other than the way it's demonstrated in your everyday life. That's where character shows up. That's where integrity shows up. Because you did the work behind the scene. Second thought. We have two two examples in this story of religious fervor. Religious fervor. Right? You have the religious leaders, the Jews and the, the religious leaders of the of the Jewish movement. They're angry. They manipulate. They lie, they threaten, they kill. When confronted with the truth, they shake their fists in anger and hold their hands over their ears and say, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. That's one form of religious zealotism. Is that a word? I don't know. I just made it up. Unfortunately, that's a kind of religious zeal we see on display way too often, way too often. It's what your grandkids think we do here. It's what your neighbors think we do here, that we hold hate rallies and then sick you on the community to fix them, right? That's one type of religious zeal. Done with passion. Convinced they're doing the right thing. Don't want to hear truth. Because when truth comes, you cover your ears. Or when truth comes and you don't like it, you attack it and put it to death. But that's one form of religious zeal. Here's the other. Stephen, a man of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did not, he did not give in one bit. He did not compromise his faith one bit. He boldly stated what he believed. He did not sell out. He did not look weak. He did nothing. But at the end of the day, his zeal resulted in the light of Christ shining into the situation, literally. Literally. When put under pressure, that kind of religious fanaticism, if you want to call it that, that type of Christian zeal magnified the character of Christ, the character he had been building in his prayer room and in his scripture life and in his relationship with God. It was on full display as it was put under pressure. And it changed his... Just a little note in there that the guy holding the coats for the people throwing the stones... Saul, instrumental in the the conversion of Saul is this experience. It's in the next chapter that we, we, we turn the page and Saul becomes Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. The reason we have the scripture in the Gentile world is because of the work of Paul. He was, this stoning of Stephen sat in the back of his mind and was instrumental in the change that happened in him. Stephen had no way of knowing that. How else did, did Stephen show up? When, when, when confronted by lies and attack and viciousness and death, he just stood with character. He turned his eyes to heaven. 
and said, look, I see, the, I see Jesus. As the stones were coming at him, and we, I'm not going to go into how gross stoning was. We, we often talk about how violent uh, crucifixion is. Stoning death was a violent, horrible way to die as well. And as it's turned on him and he's knocked from his feet and people are plummeting him with stones and death is imminent, he doesn't turn and say, I hope you burn in hell. He turns and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what. The very words Jesus spoke on the cross to those that were witnesses to his crucifixion. See, when when your faith is based on the presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, when put under pressure, the character of Christ is out. The character of Christ changes the circumstance. That's why we need to have more Holy Spirit. Less of me, more of Him. Less of me, more of Him. I'll be honest with you. I'm still a long ways away from this. I, I, I don't have this kind of forgiveness. If somebody does something to me, I want to hurt them. If they cry, good. If they bleed, better. Right? And I know you're laughing because I gave you permission to think that way. Because that's part of who we are. This is not natural. You don't just fall into this. It doesn't just come by accident. It is only by divine transformation. It's only by my character being support, uh, being moved out with God's character coming in. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My only hope to become more like Stephen is to have more of God inside of me. And the only way that happens, it's not an accident. It's the way I practice it each and every day of my life. And you're the same way. Do you have the kind of spiritual life that's building character? Or do you know what you know and you believe it because you believe it and you're not even sure where it's in the Bible, but you're pretty sure it's in the Bible and don't tell me it's not in the Bible and I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. Because that kind of faith does more harm than good. But the character of Christ, whenever you are led by the Holy Spirit, whenever you are led by the Holy Spirit, I'm so tired of hearing about Christians who compromise because they love their enemy. I'm so tired of hearing that weak Christianity relies more on grace than it does on righteousness. And my answer to that is, I'll follow Jesus more than your stupid idea. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus never compromised his his righteousness, and yet Jesus showed love and grace to every single person he met. The character of Christ comes out when the character of Christ has been built. And oh, for the day. Oh, for the day. For that's the way our Christian church is known. They will know we are Christians by our our love. That's Christ's character. And when the Holy Spirit has transformed you, you can't help that that comes out. When the light gets shown on, the light of the world comes out. And that's what happens. One last thought. We talk often about uh, God will never leave you or forsake you. And even in this horrible moment for Stephen, the Lord was with him. He gazed into, and, and the Lord gave him a vision. He said, I see my Lord. 
standing at the right hand of God, the Son of Man, and all of his righteousness. Because that's not just language in the Bible, it's the Our submission to God is something that will benefit you. He is with you always, even to the end of the day. We've been praying this prayer of uh, Wesley. We're going to do it in response today. Brooklyn, can you put that up for us? Let's, let's pray this together. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.